Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. We have completed our study of the Ten Commandments in the Large Catechism. We're moving into the Creed. It's going to be a fantastic discussion tonight. And joining me tonight is uh, Pastor Andrew Dirks. You know him. Oh, and his daughter, Ione. She has jumped in. She might show up on occasion tonight and, and wave at all the people. And once again, our poor podcast listeners don't get to appreciate the cuteness going on right now. Oh, she is blowing she the kisses. Oh, she is blowing kisses. This is awesome. <laughs> and then, of course, Pastor Peter Ill, who is also blowing kisses. Okay. <laughs> Both pastors from Trinity Lutheran churches, but uh, Pastor Dirks in Arnsville, Illinois, and Pastor Ill in Millstadt, Illinois. Uh, once again, remember, subscribe. There's that or red button, click subscribe. We'd love to get to 100 subscribers on our YouTube channel because once we do that, we can add like a custom name and we get some additional options that, that show up. Great stuff. This is being podcast, so you can go down below and you'll see the links to the iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're on all three of those platforms. You can download the podcast or go to our website, crucialproductions.org. The audio is there as well. And, of course, if you have any questions right now while we're live, I am keeping an eye on the comments over on the YouTube feed. If you're listening to this afterwards, send your questions to questions at crucialproductions.org, or I'm still checking the comments on the YouTube channel, so you can ask, ask questions there, too. And, of course, last thing. This is part of a study we are doing in the Grokmoot. That is our Facebook group. If you're feeling a little more dwarvish, we like to say Grokmoot. And so, oh, I own like that. Yeah, I own likes the Grok <laughs> So join us over there. We have a reading plan that we are going through. There's a, a short section every day, opportunity to discuss it. Feel free to join our Facebook group there and discuss with us. And of course, ask your other theological questions because we have pastors in there who are answering all sorts of questions there to help you guys out. So today's episode, we are in the Creed in Luther's Large Catechism. If you have your Concordia Book of Concord, Lutheran Confession, second edition, we are on page 398, and we'll be going through page 402. We're going to be covering the first two articles in the Creed, God and then Jesus, and then next week we will be talking about the Holy Spirit, although we might get into that a little bit here, because when you're talking about God, you kind of have to talk about the whole Trinity or risk being a heretic. Um, kind of. <laughs> don't do that. Don't, we don't want to Let's do that. Let's not be heretics. <laughs> we all, always got always to be careful because, you know, you leave one of the persons of the Trinity out and you're doing some sort of a heresy somewhere. That's just the way it is. So. In order to avoid heresy, we'll probably talk about all three persons of the Trinity tonight, but primarily focusing on God the Father and Jesus the Son. With that being said, pastors, let's let's introduce people to, to creeds. We may have people listening who come from backgrounds where creeds are not something they use. Maybe creeds are a negative thing. They look down on them. Uh, or they might be Lutherans, been Lutherans their entire life. They've known the creed since they were three, and... They need a little bit of a refresher or might want a little bit of a refresher. So let's get, get us started here. Uh, Pastor Dirks, how about we'll start with you tonight? Yeah, it's kind of a sad thing that's happened in over the years is you have a couple of words that are really part of 
what Christianity has always done that have become curse words like creed, doctrine, and kind of stuff like that. Doctrine gets a bad term named even though it's just simply teaching. And when we talk about creed, all it means is to say that I believe something. And so when we're talking about the creeds here, the main thing we're speaking of is the simplest way to speak about what the Christian faith is. We're simply saying this is the faith that we hold to. These are the things that we know to be true as revealed to us in the word of God. And when someone would go against wanting not want to have a creed or anything, got to recognize whenever you say anything that you believe at all, you are going to end up saying a creed. To say, I don't think we need creeds is a creed. To say deeds, not creeds, is a creed. But it, it ends up being a case where everything we say that we believe, that we would confess, that's simply a creed. And so as we speak this, this is something that unifies the church as we're all united in the same doctrine, the same teachings of our God who has come for us. Indeed. Pastor L? That whole idea of pitting deeds and creeds against each other, though, is really a false dichotomy and a false distinction. And it's not its not really helpful. One of the things that's really uh, helpful and edifying about how Luther talks in the large catechism is uh, the creed, especially the first article of the creed about the father and creation, really flows out of the first commandment. And over and over again, he uses this line. If we believed the creed, we would just simply follow the first commandment. If we lived like this was true, um, and it, it something that uh, got shared in our group, uh, the Grokmoot, by Andrew Clover, who was really the inspiration of, of this uh, crucial conversations, the podcast, the video cast, and and the large the, catechism, the large catechism plan, series, yeah, yeah, is uh, he said one's deeds inevitably follow from one's creeds, even if those creeds are implicit. In other words, everybody believes something. All a creed is is a statement of faith. And so, uh, looking behind Peter, you can see some of the things that are really important to Peter with his <laughs> slate and uh, Luther and whatever the Star Wars robot thing is. It's um, an ATST walker. Yeah, the, the walker thing. Um, <laughs> I like the X-Wing more. The, yeah, okay. the X, there's the X-Wing but, over but you there. But you can see a little bit of what's important to Peter um, based on what he surrounds himself with. The actions that somebody has, good or evil, show what somebody believes. One who has been transformed by Christ lives as Christ does, because they are filled by Christ. And so when we believe the uh, creed, we live according to the commands that God has given, not because we have to, but because we are, are fueled and motivated and filled by that gospel, even as the law points out what that Christian life looks like. Uh, we simply live that gospel message and gospel uh, proclamation. Now, and now you also inadvertently uh, pointed out what's behind you. If you're going to point out what's behind me, well, let's look what's behind you. And Crosses! Now who's more righteous? Oh, no. What have we just done? <laughs> I'm and just toast. Following my I like toast a lot, too, for the record. Oh, the toaster. Yes, we need the toaster back there. I'm just following my vocation by having my daughter on screen. That's all I'm doing. I actually, You have a vacuum cleaner, so that's I a good one, a too. Cleaner. I like that. <laughs> the vacuum cleaner and the open back door. Fantastic. <laughs> And the door that's blocking my picture of Jesus on that side that I yeah, just you, you could see Jesus earlier, and now Jesus is being blocked. <laughs> All right, so so let's talk a little bit about so 
Creeds, creeds are a good thing. Uh, well, I suppose if you have a bad creed, it could be a bad thing. I mean, if you're believing the wrong things, your creed itself could be bad. But that doesn't mean that like this idea of having a statement of beliefs is a bad thing. But we've talked a little bit about how this deeds, not creeds, I, I th it has arisen because you have people who say, look, here's what I believe. And then others look at their life and say, you don't seem to live that way. So I want to see your deeds, not your creeds. So there, there's that constant tension be between these two things. So you have, I think Rick Warren is the one who popularized the deeds, not creeds, at least in our current generation. He's not the originator of it. I mean, that's been something that's been around for a long time. But in our current day and age, he's one of the more popular ones who said it. And he does recognize a problem when someone claims to be a Christian and yet doesn't seem to follow what Christ says. Uh, at the same time, Luther actually states that there, there is a relationship between the creed and the Ten Commandments, and it actually is a relationship that talks about belief and works to a certain extent, but I don't think he's talking about the same way Rick Warren does. So let's talk about that a little bit as Luther introduces the creed and actually ties it to the Ten Commandments in a particular way, hence the name of our episode, Creeds and Deeds. So, Pastor Ill, if I can uh, toss it to you first there to, to begin our introduction here. Sure. Before we get to Luther, though, uh, it's James chapter 2 that talks this way, where oh, James yeah. points out that this is a false dichotomy, because some people say, let me show you my faith, and others will say, let me show you my deeds. And he says, let me show you my faith and my deeds. Uh, and this is the Christian life that we see in both faith that we express with our mouth and with our heart and deeds that we act out in love towards our neighbor. We are called to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And pitting those two things against each other isn't, isn't biblical. And so Luther makes this connection and says that uh, from the commandments flows the creed. When you live in line with the commandments, you have a, a living, breathing creed of what you believe, teach, and confess. And when you simply verbalize that out loud, you are confessing the fullness of the Ten Commandments that call you to love the Lord your God. Well, who is the Lord your God? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, in a cool historical tangent, because I love cool <laughs> historical tangents more than most people, uh, in medieval theology, they taught that the Apostles' Creed had 12 parts. Um, and so each of the apostles uh, started to say something about God. One of them kicked in, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And somebody else added in, he created heaven and earth. And, and then somebody else, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And, and theoretically, they went on just kind of each one of them submitting a statement that turned into the creed. Uh, that's a nice pious idea that's 99% not true um, <laughs> because uh, we the Apostles Creed comes out of the tradition of the Roman church especially and was used for baptisms and for wel welcoming new members to the church and creeds have this important uh, role of saying this is what's within the box of what we believe and 
there are things that are outside the box that we don't believe. Uh, to say that Jesus isn't the Son of God, that's outside the box. To say that Jesus was um, born as a human and then adopted by God the Father, uh, well, that's outside the box. To say that, uh, I don't know, special gifts of the Holy Spirit are necessary for salvation, that's outside the box of, of the creed. And so we focus on what's inside the box. Uh, when I was growing up, we had a sandbox. Uh, there were two rules of the sandbox. Number one was dig inside the sandbox to your heart's content. Rule number two was don't dig outside the sandbox. That's how your dad sprains an ankle. And not that I know anything about that. But uh, hypothetically speaking, uh, live within the box. And that's what the creeds do for the church is they provide a place of unity of the church being able to say, this is what we commonly believe, teach, and confess. Amen. And I, I would also add, as we're going through this, Luther repeatedly in each article is telling us this is a simple explanation. And so as, as we're going through this, we're going we're gonna to hit several points where we're like, Okay, but it's more complicated than that. But we're going to say it in this way because this is this, this the most simple way to say it. So we recognize, of course, right off the bat, there is so much more here that we could talk about. But the goal, as Luther has expressed it, is with the creed, is to keep it simple. Um, yes, I, I just thought of the KISS acronym because <laughs> Pastor Dirks and I were talking about that <laughs> right before this. Yeah, oh, no, I'm, I am not going to switch the camera to that tone. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> and this is an instance where our podcast viewers are blessed. Our no listeners are, are blessed right now. have not seen that. Or Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but just the simple, the keeping, keeping things simple, and that it's not that we're intentionally glossing over or we're intentionally – you know, misrepresenting something, we're trying to find, as Luther has in Scripture, the, the most simple way to talk about these things. Pastor Dirks, you had a thought there? Yeah, and you know, when we talk about this box, while we may not have the any confirmation of that whole idea of each line given by the apostles, it's based on the apostles' teachings. I mean, it's based on the entirety of the Scriptures. This is not something that the church just said, hey, let's just kind of make some stuff up that sounds real pretty for us to say. No, it is drawn from the text of scripture as we would, if we would, we could do an exhaustive list going through the entirety of this. But like we said, we want, it's a thing that is kept simple when Luther talks about it. I mean, the answer to the creed is dear child, what kind of God do you have? I mean, in the 10 commandments, we heard about what God expects out of us, what we have done. And we realize how it is way too high for any of us to be able to achieve. And now we hear about what God has done for the sake of mankind who couldn't do it. What has God done for the sake of us and how has he revealed himself to us? So let's, let's start there with God, the father, then the first article of the creed, I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. And so as, as we begin, all right, I'm going to throw this out there and, and you guys can, can push back, but is you could almost say, and I think some people might actually say this, that right off the bat, the creed says something that scripture itself doesn't exactly say in those same words. God, the Father, as the creator, uh, maker of heaven and earth. 
when the New Testament actually seems to talk a lot about Jesus being the, the creator. What, okay, if I'm paying attention and I notice this, what, what do I do with this? <laughs> or it could be that people haven't even considered this before. We just kind of, oh, yeah, that's, that's what it is, of course. I think that it's really important that uh, when we get to the creed and to talking about the three articles of the creed, that we not over distinguish or even divide the work of the three persons of the Trinity. Uh, and there's a, there's a temptation towards that. And it's not, a, it's, it's not good. This is not a uh, captain planet kind of a God where earth, wind, fire, and heart combine and you get captain planet. <laughs> uh, I, but, and, and I know that it's, it's a little bit funny but sometimes it's how we think that when the Father works with the Son and they combine and work with the Holy Spirit, then you have the fullness of the Godhead. Um, I call that Voltron. Uh, Voltron? Okay. And I'll form the Godhead. <laughs> Fair. Um, but this is... This is not the way Scripture talks. And, and part of it is we've... We've gotten really used to, if you ask your normal confirmation student or somebody who's learning the faith to, to draw you a picture of God or draw you a picture of the Trinity, uh, odds are better than not that you're going to get a picture of a triangle. And so you have three points. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's, that's true. And, and they're all united as one triangle. And, and that's true. But from our human perspective, we don't so much see how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit interact with each other. We see how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work together and communicate with us. So God speaks, and the Word, the eternal Word of God, the Logos of John 1, the Word made flesh, creates. Without him was nothing made that was made. That's John 1, I think verse 4. And then you get into uh, the Holy Spirit has hovered over the waters and the Holy Spirit is continually present in and with all of creation. And the Spirit drives us to the Son. The Son reconciles us with the Father. And we see the work of all three persons of the Trinity uh, connected in how they interact with us. And so we don't distinguish them. We say, this is how our triune God deals with us. Was the Son present at creation? Absolutely. Was the Father present at creation and working in creation? Absolutely. Was the Holy Spirit present and working in creation? You better believe it. But um, we talk about how the Father is the maker of all things. That's true. Colossians 1 speaks that way too. Uh, but we also recognize that the Son was present and working in creation, so was the Holy Spirit. We aren't ruling anybody out. Yeah, and the, going back to the John passage, nothing was made that has been made without Christ. So it's it's like I like what you said about overly distinguishing but between the two, and we're actually going to run into this problem as we're going through the creed. Okay, we're trying to focus on God, now the Father. Now we're trying to focus on God the Son, and now we're trying to focus on God the Holy Spirit, and yet in this entire time, we're going to end up mixing them back and forth if we are re remaining faithful to the Scripture, perhaps. Uh, Pastor Dirks, what are, what are your thoughts on this? 
Yeah, to build on the same thing, you know, this coming Sunday is Trinity Sunday. You know, every time after Pentecost, we have this. And we're going to say the Athanasian Creed, which is another of the ecumenical creeds. It's known by most people as the long one, as some people would complain about it. And you have, this is the Catholic faith that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity and unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. This is just exactly what Pastor Ill was saying a moment ago. We have this tendency to kind of separate them into this is God the Father section of what he does, Son, Holy Spirit. They all do their own thing. When in every part of it, they're working in this is where they're working to get, you know, it is one God, three persons, not in the way that we try to picture it, whether it be a triangle. You know, the other ways, if you ask somebody to draw the Trinity to explain it, you're going to get an apple, you're going to get the sun, you're going to get a lot of the other ways to try to explain it. But there's a reason why God says, refers to himself as I am who I am, because there's nothing that compares to him by the end of it. You know, whenever we try to use an image to talk about God or to talk about him in any way, shape or form, it always falls short because there is nothing in creation that is like him. He is distinct. He is unique. And another text that talks about much the same idea is, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we have, Yet to us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are and for whom all we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. And so all three persons are present in each thing that we watch happening. So. Pastor Ill, you had your hand raised. Did, did you have something you wanted to add? I did, and then and then Pastor Dirk said it, uh, because he's amazing. So awesome. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'll, I'll just reiterate one thing that Pastor Dirk said that I think is worth mentioning. You know, it, it's every analogy that we could have for the Trinity or every comparison that we could have for any of the persons in the Trinity is going to fall short simply because we, we actually can't comprehend God because he's God. And every analogy, every comparison, everything we would do is an attempt at actually understanding that which cannot be understood. So we have to rely on God's revelation of himself to us. And so in a way, the, 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 the Apostles' Creed that we're, that we're beginning to go through here is a summary of that revelation of here is what God has said about himself. Let's, let's go through that. So you guys, we've, we've talked through John. Can I make one other comment? Yes, comments yeah. are good. It, it is the reality as we go through this and say some of these things. The Trinity is the spot where we end up going, that's hard. I don't get this. And it's why it's referred to as a mystery, because it cannot be comprehended by human reason or our own capacity to understand it. And so when we talk, this is why when we talk about the creed, it's being put in a simple way to be able to say what we believe. And, you know, I think my favorite example of seeing this is when we bring the kids from the Lutheran day school that I have into sing for worship. I mean, I have 28 kids there and the five-year-olds are louder than the hundred other people in the congregation because they've learned it over the time they were in school, hearing it again and again, and they were able to confess the faith. Hmm. Yep. Amen. So let's, Let's talk a little bit about more about what Luther has said. I, I like how Luther ties the first commandment to to God the Father. I mean, it's it's obvious because you shall have no other gods. It ties in, but he spends a lot of time, several paragraphs, thirteen through sixteen, in fact, where he actually really gives uh, 
a rehashing, a, a re-summary of what trust actually looks like. But um, even before we get there, if we back up to paragraph 11, I think this is really helpful. I guess the tail end of 10. So the creed is nothing other than the answer and confession of Christians arranged with respect to the first commandment. It is as if you were to ask a little child, my dear, what sort of God do you have? What do you know about him? The child could say, this is my God. First, the father who created heaven and earth. Besides this one only, I regard nothing else as God, for there is no one else who could create heaven and earth. Uh, and so he, he moves from, in a very simple way, the first commandment to have no other gods to this confession of God the creator, the only God. Hmm. And, and you can see that uh, as he moves on, and you can add on the second article about Jesus and the third article about the Holy Spirit, too. He just didn't get that far yet. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that a little bit then before we move into the, the trust thing, which maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe we won't. Depends on how the conversation goes. But this this God as creator, you know, for there is no one else who could create heaven and earth. Well, today we don't actually believe that. Uh, we, we it's 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 not that it's a novel idea. There have been throughout the entirety of of human history other way, you know, with people seeking ways other than the one true God to have created the earth, whether it's, well, it used to be usually other gods, you know, there's other false gods out there, but today we have a, I don't know, is it 200 years old? Uh, at least the idea of natural evolution and natural selection and the various mechanisms that evolution uses um, are actually seriously challenging this idea, even for Christians. Now, as pastors, how do you help walk your people through this particular challenge, especially because Christians are very tempted to simply accept evolution, macroevolution, millions and billions of years of, you know, things developing slowly over time or punctuated equilibrium. I've studied this a little bit. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there, but that this particular article is under direct attack nowadays. And it doesn't help when leaders of other church bodies uh, start to talk about how they think that God, God started the process going, but then uh, evolution, macroevolution and millions of years uh, and metaphorical days have a place in developing uh, creation. And, and that, doesn't help our cause a whole lot. Um, but where I start is I start by talking about Jesus. I talk about creation. Um, this whole world is, is broken and messed up. We can all agree to that. Um, people get sick and get hurt. Uh, my yard, my grass gets weed infested and it gets problematic. Uh, you know, pets get sick. We can see the brokenness of creation every day. That, that doesn't take a whole lot of work. And then, after we talk about how creation is messed up, we say, and Jesus Christ, the Lord, is has come to restore all of creation. The weeds and the pets and the people and all creation um, is restored by Christ. Well, how does Christ have authority to restore it? Because he is the one through whom all things were made. And so our whole idea of creation starts with Jesus. 
Um, and I think it's really important that when we talk about creation, we keep it centered in Jesus who saves all creation, uh, first and foremost, because sometimes there's a tendency to get, oh, kind of legalistic about creation and and how God created the heavens and the earth. And we want to say, if you don't believe that God created the world in six literal days, uh, you know, evening and morning, the first day and the second day and so on, then you can't really be a Christian. And, and I think we end up with good intentions, putting uh, binding consciences and putting rules on people that might not be the most helpful place to start. I think we do a really good thing when we're able to say, what does it mean about this creation when we say that Jesus has come to save it? And then we can ask the question, by what authority does Jesus save it? Oh, because he made it coincidentally, in six literal days and resting on the seventh. But we can get around to that. We don't have to lead with that all the time. We can lead with Jesus because when our understanding of Jesus is right, everything else about creation and life in this world follows from that. Pastor Dirks? Oh, and on that same idea, when we speak about creation, it should be done in the form of uh, good news. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who continues to keep it in his care as well. You know, I think it's the right place to start exactly with Christ. One of the texts we can very easily jump to with that is when you have the calming of the storm. What is it that calms the storm? It isn't Jesus performing some magic trick. He says so. Be still. And the storm, hearing the voice of the one through whom all creation came, is still. Some of the times I think it depends on context as far as what we talk about with it too. I mean, one of the realities that we're going to have to face here is the world is content to lie about the truth. Romans 1, this is a text that I bring up working with my catechism kids as they're getting ready to go from a Lutheran school to a public school or some of the kids I have going to college. That you have a real world that is going to try and conceal the truth in a, in, instead of speaking what has been given by God. And so we, it, you know, depends on context talking about it, but it is always going to be wanting to keep the center on Christ as he's the one who is the center. So, And I think for me, that's actually been one of the most helpful ways to think about not only the, the issue of creation, but any number of other theological issues. We have this saying as Lutherans that all theology is Christology, that, that good theology starts with Christ and ends with Christ. And so even in this issue of creation, we're, we're simply applying that same principle to it. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to start with Genesis 1, and I'm going to defend the facts of the Bible, the facts of creation. I'm going to find modern scientific discoveries that line up with these facts and, and try and prove it from that direction. The problem is, when you go from that direction, on the cross for sinners, I, I, I would I think almost anybody, myself included, who's had these sorts of discussions. Whenever you're starting at those points, you always end up somewhere else. You're you're debating the science of it. You're you're debating particular interpretations of a text. You're discussing particular Hebrew words. I mean, any number of things that you end up talking about except for Jesus. But as, as you pastors have been saying, if we start with Jesus, let's, let's start that discussion with who he is, what he has done, what scripture says about him, 
and work out from there, you are going to end up at six day creation because well, that's what Jesus confesses and that's what he talks about and that's what scripture, and you know, if we, it's, it's, it's all about starting in the right place uh, because if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, we do want to be confessing Christ. And so I do find if I start on the other direction, if I'm like, I'm going to start at Genesis one and I'm going to defend it from there. It's, it's really hard, if not completely impossible to actually end up at Jesus. Um, any thoughts on my rambling monologue there? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bite. Um, the creeds are all the all of the creeds that we use in the church, especially the apostles, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, the long one, are really defenses and confessions of the Christian faith. What can happen sometimes when we try to use Genesis chapter one and two as a tool to defend the faith? is we end up trying to argue people into faith. That's not always the most helpful approach. Sometimes we're better served simply to confess faith in Jesus and in what he says about creation and in what he says about how he restores everything and to go from there because then it's a matter of faith. We're not trying to win an argument. We're simply confessing this is who Jesus says that he is and it touches everything. And I think that's a really important way of looking at it and way of coming at it. Yep. Pastor Dirks, any further thoughts there? Oh, your audio is out. Uh-oh. I, I can't no hear audio. you. <laughs> there. There we go. There it is. Sorry, I had muted it, and apparently the button got off for a second. Faith comes by hearing. I mean, that's the way that faith comes. It doesn't come by arguing somebody or our own will to be able to decide to follow after Jesus. It comes by hearing the word of God. That is the thing that produces faith, remembering the third commandment. You know, it's that word of God that comes to us that calls sinners from sin, from darkness into light. And so it's not by my being able to put a convincing argument out there that is going to bring someone to faith. It's by, like Pastor Hill said, confessing the faith. Amen. All right, so we've got three different things that we can talk about here um, that Luther focuses on that, that we've kind of picked out as we're talking through our discussion. So the first one is, as I mentioned before, the first commandment and trust and how that ties in with this article. We also have this, this really strange line uh, in 18 where Luther says, God, he cares for us so that no evil falls upon us which I say is strange because my own experience is that I, I do believe evil actually falls on me all the time. Uh, so we can talk about that. And then finally, at the, at the end in paragraph 22, this article ought to humble and terrify us all if we believed. After talking all about who God the Father is, Luther says, this should terrify us if we believed it. Um. So obviously the converse of that, I, if I don't, if I'm not terrified, do I actually believe it? So where, where do we want to go with that? We got some options here. Which, what do you guys feel like discussing first or only? <laughs> well, kind of looking at the clock a little bit. Um, yeah. I think that paragraph uh, 22 is, is really helpful. And I think it's, it's a place that's good for us in the church today to kind of carry a little bit and to think about uh, that 
When we believe that God created everything that is, it should humble us and it should terrify us. When we talk about God who creates all things, when we talk about Jesus who was able to walk on the water and to calm the storm, the Gospels write that the disciples were afraid of the power that Jesus showed. Uh, they were, in fact, terrified and amazed by what Jesus could do over creation. Uh, there's there's uh, a song that's out there now, uh, and by now I mean like 30 years ago, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it's a song that gets sung in, in a lot of church settings, and it's it's our God, our God is an awesome God. Yeah, Rich and, Mullins wrote that one. Oh yeah, Rich Mullins. Okay, and it's, uh, I, I want to say kind of late 80s, but correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway. We'll have to have a Grokmoot fact checker here before long. But nonetheless, the, the chorus is catchy, uh, you know, and it says, our God is an awesome God. And in English today, we think about awesome as a positive, good, happy, warm, fuzzy characteristic. We like things that are awesome. But then the verses go on to describe that God has thunder in his fist and lightning in his steps. That's kind of scary. He wasn't, um, the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. Uh-oh. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. a fun thing. Um, and, and I think that this song confesses that God is uh, awesome or, or full, of, full of awe. Maybe a better word is awful, not, not in a bad sense, but just full of awe. And when we look at the works of the heavens and the stars that God has made, we can't help but say, wow, if God can create that and he still creates me, what am I that God should be mindful of me and care about me? I, th I think you, Rich Mullins, he, he did not intend for most of his songs to be sung within a congregational setting. So we'll, we'll say that, that up front, but I think he was actually trying to write a song that would not just instill that sense of wonder, but I think he was actually going for a little bit of, of fear. And we don't necessarily take the song in that way, but you know, as we're reading this article, we, we probably should. <laughs> it, it, the song doesn't, uh, if, as I'm thinking through, it doesn't confess anything that's actually wrong. I, I don't recall I, I can't think of every word right off the bat, but right initially I don't think of anything that's wrong. What's wrong is how we take what that song confesses and like you said, turn into kind of a warm, fuzzy, wow, this is amazing. I don't even think that's what Rich Mullins intended for that song to do. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't say that the song is wrong. I would simply say the song is incomplete. It doesn't, it doesn't get to Jesus and his restoration of creation because there we see the completion of our God being an awesome God. The, the God through whom all things were made, the God who wasn't joking when he kicked them out of Eden, also wasn't joking when he hung on the cross and when he suffered and died, when the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and when the presence of God was in the midst of his people, and that same returning Lord, who certainly isn't joking, when he returns on the last day, raising the dead and promising that all those who are written in his book of life will live with him forever as he reigns in the midst of the throne, as he restores all of creation in the new heavens and the new earth. And... And, and that's the rest of the story. 
but that song doesn't get all the way there. I don't know how you'd put it in in that cute little E minor. Uh, There's thing. a very brief mentioning. It wasn't for no reason that he sent his son. That's about the extent. Oh, of it that okay. he said that okay. he shed his blood. It sent his son. So he, his blood. he gets there, but not kind of. Uh, he he gets there, but I would I, I would love to see it be be more and and be fuller of a confession of who Jesus is, uh, but like I said, it's not wrong, just not complete. And and I think it still makes the point that we should be left in fear after singing that song because because he doesn't get where he needs to get for us to have anything but fear at the end of it. Pastor Dirks, did you have any additional thoughts you wanted to share there? Yeah, it's one of the ways I approach it when we start religion class and start talking about who God is. You know, I I use that word awesome and say this is, like you said, it's not, hey, that's really neat. It is more like the Grand Canyon. I mean, you look out at the Grand Canyon, it is something that is, wow, this is incredible. But if I step two steps too far this way, I'm dead. And when you have a God who is awesome, who is great, powerful, who created all things and sees all things... That is terrifying and humbling. It is just the good news that we have that the rest of God's actions for our sake have been to redeem this world that he created that fell away from him. So this first article of the creed, as Luther talks about it, as we've discussed it, should terrify us. Let's move to the second article now. Let's let's talk about this, the second person of the Trinity, because I believe we begin seeing the, the solution to our terror and to our fear and, and what God has actually provided. If that's even a good way to phrase it, feel free to correct me on that because I think I was getting a side eye <laughs> from from someone there. But yeah, who wants to tackle that? was a that? pronunciation thing. You said a stolution, and I don't know what a stolution is. <laughs> oh, I, I don't either. I make up words on the fly, and that was one of them. So we're going to go with... Know it, aren't I? <laughs> All right, so so let's talk about let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about our Lord and Savior, um, because I mean that's the, that's the thing. We've we've gone through the whole Ten Commandments and the first article of the Creed, and now we're finally getting to actually talk about Jesus, even though we couldn't help ourselves. We've been talking about him all along, but let's get serious about it here. And he's always been there. Uh, one of the helpful things that Luther sets up uh, is that Jesus is my Lord. What does it mean that he be Lord? It means that uh, Lord is is the Greek word for, for master uh, or sir, but we also confess that it is uh, the one who oversees all things. And sometimes we, we work ourselves into not saying, but Jesus was born the son of Mary, uh, who was... Uh, and he was conceived by the work of the Holy Spirit in Mary, but he wasn't around much before uh, 2000, before the year one, give or take. Well, he's always been there, and the Lord, even before he took on flesh, has been working and appearing, and we see Jesus, before he was incarnate and born, appearing in the Old Testament. Usually we use the phrase the pre-incarnate or the before he was incarnate, Christ, uh, just not to create confusion and say Jesus before he was Jesus, because that sounds weird. Uh, <laughs> and it's probably heretical in some way, too. In, in some way, it probably is. But uh, I, I'm not ready to get hung up there. But he's always been there. And 
we don't say that he has his, his origins or his beginning only when he was born to Mary. The word has always been with the father and will always be with the father. All right. So, so that's a good deal. Um, and he comes in order to redeem or restore all of creation and to reconcile all of creation, including sinful people, to God the Father. Um, and at first, I know that sounds like Jesus, the Son, is, is under the Father. And some people would say, see, 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 wait, you're, you're ill, you're talking wrong again. You, you have the Father here, and now you have Jesus, and it makes it sound like Jesus is less than the Father. And that's not what I mean at all, but from our human perspective, that's how we see the work of God and the work of the Trinity in our lives. It's not that the Son is less than the Father. It's that we see their work in slightly different perspectives. That's okay. Uh, we're not saying that the Son is in his essence or in his being any less than God the Father or any less than the Spirit. We're simply saying we see what they do in a little bit of a different way. That's all right. Pastor Dirks? Yeah, and as the Father sends the Son and the Son submits to the will of the Father, you know, we hear that word submit and we automatically plug into it some kind of inferiority or lower than, but that's not really the case. I can submit to someone who's lower than me in the fact that I, you know, I go and help take care of my daughter when she needs something and stuff like that. That doesn't mean my daughter ranks higher in my house than me. It simply is submitting, showing, doing the work that needs to be done. I, I just want to jump back. One thing that I, I agree with everything Pastor Ill said, and it's actually why I don't like the word solution. Because solution ends up kind of coming across as if creation happens, Adam and Eve falls and goes, oh, Jesus, darn it. He, he messed up. They messed up, Jesus. I need to send you to go do this now. Christ's work has always been to be the mediator, the redeemer, the one that goes between God and man. This is why when we would talk about the appearance of Yahweh in the Old Testament, a lot of the, you know, most of us are going to say that's Jesus coming to the people because when they see his face, they don't drop dead immediately. Hmm. And it is a case we have the pre-existence of Christ. He is true God, true light of light. Again, I love the Athanasian Creed because it drills that home so far, so completely as we have the image of the Son as the one who is eternal, who willingly comes to offer his life on the cross for us. So, Yeah, I think that, that is a helpful correction there when, when I said solution. Um, because, yeah, it's, we, we don't want to see it as a plan B or uh, like a big, oops, now I have to fix it kind of thing. So thank you for that. Um, where... Okay, so <laughs> one of the questions that we always ask in, in every por every episode of our show is where should we be looking in Scripture uh, for these things? And on this particular article, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's like this article. It's like, well, all of Scripture is about Christ. All these things that are confessed in, in this particular section of the creed is the entire point of all of Scripture. So on the one hand, like you said, Pastor Ill, we could say, well, look at all of Scripture. However, we have about 12 minutes left in the show. So <laughs> Let's go <laughs> what are some the Bible. Some of your favorite places to, to look at that you found, okay, if, if you really need to work with somebody, maybe they have no familiarity with Scripture, where, where would you send them first to begin working through uh, some of the some of these claims, some of these statements that the creed makes. 
Yeah, there's a reason why there's about six hours of class time on this article, and I still feel like I'm breezing through the entirety of it. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> some of the stuff text that you can go to is you have the creation account where you have the very word of God as, as John 1 speaks about it going into this. You have all of the, you know, as much as we, we want to avoid peekaboo Jesus in the Old Testament where, oh, there's a messianic prophecy and then it's never showing up again, but working to show how the entirety of the Old Testament ends up pointing to Christ as well. I mean, you read through the book of Leviticus and the entire thing is just pointing straight to Jesus. Passover is another of these kind of examples that are there talking about the Old Testament. You can go on and on from the Old Testament to ways that you speak about Jesus and all the work that he comes to do. I mean, then the gospels duh. <laughs> I, I i like i personally i use matthew a lot when i use it for i use it for a catechetical book of the you know when we go through it i think some of the essential you know the heart of it is making sure we get to jesus speaking about what he comes to do and to his crucifixion i think these are some of the places that we need always need to make sure that we always go to recognizing that throughout creation god has you know, all history God has been preparing it for that moment where the son would be lifted up onto the cross to suffer and die, to redeem all creation. Hmm. Pastor L? I've had a couple of chances to work with people um, who, are, who are new to the faith or, or just have questions about the Christian faith. And you ask the question, where do you start? I actually start with the Gospel of John. And after after they read or listen to in an audio Bible, after they are familiar with John once, they say, okay, I read John. What do I do now? In fact, read John three times a week for a month. And so then every time they come back with more questions because every time they read John, they, they say, wait, I have, I have more that I don't understand. Um, and from the Gospel of John, um, it gives a really good foil to go back to the Old Testament because John does a really good job of connecting Christ as the fulfillment of prophecy like Matthew does, but but kind of in a story narrative kind of a way instead of a thus said the prophet and Jesus did this to fulfill yeah. what the prophet said kind of a way. And then uh, it also points towards uh, the revelation and the return of Christ. And so it really gives a really good hinge into all of Scripture. And after we're good and familiar with John and we've poked around in the Old Testament a bit and we've headed towards uh, Christ coming again, then we, we go on to a different gospel and, and keep poking and learning more. But I really like to start with John. You could, if, if we want to be a little bit snarky, we could say John is is the gospel that fixed the other ones who didn't quite get it right. So he's like, all right, guys, let me come and show you how this is done. <laughs> Matthew and John, I, I vote these both work because they were the eyewitnesses, so it works out well enough. <laughs> well, I, I like... I love all four Gospels for, for different reasons, yeah. um, because they all have a slightly different perspective on on Jesus. He's the, the same Lord understanding of who he is, and that's a good thing, uh, and, and so we're all good with that. <laughs> well, we're, we're kind of reaching the, the end of our time, and I'm not sure... We've got a couple different things we could do. Are there any things, is there anything in the large catechism itself on this article about Jesus that you guys want to to pull out and focus on in our final minutes here? 
um, as we're going through. I mean, I'm, I'll, as you guys are looking, I'm going to just read the very ending paragraph, paragraph 33. Luther kind of says what we've been trying to say here. He says, yes, the entire gospel that we preach is based on this point, that we properly understand this article as that upon which our salvation and all our happiness rests. It is so rich and complete that we can never learn it fully. So here we are in a, in a podcast and in a video trying to give you a little bit of a hint of that, knowing we can't get it fully. Um, <laughs> oh, we got Iona getting some there too. Um, even Luther says, he just ends, he's like, look, this we can never understand this fully. I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, is there anything you guys want to draw out as we conclude here? I think, I think one of the key words... Oh, go ahead, Pastor. No, go I'm ahead. sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. A, a key word here is the word incarnation, that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, present since before the beginning, took and we have God and united in a way that we can't understand or explain. And so we don't try how this is. We simply believe and confess that God has taken on flesh. And here we see the forgiveness of sins, that this, this God-man, this enfleshed God, suffered to restore all of creation. And it's in that incarnation and in that enfleshment that we have our life and our being. And we focus on Christ, who is present with us. He's not part God, part man. He's all the way both. And it's by that all the way both that we are saved. And I have two Peter Slaytons hey. on my screen, and that alarms me. <laughs> I lost the connection. I don't know what happened. Back. I'm back now. Okay. I was like wrapping up the show as if it was over because I thought I got I lost the connection. <laughs> so so catch me up. What'd we do? Um, we talked about the incarnation. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. It was wonderful. But Pastor Dukes has something wonderful and profound to say still. All right, go ahead and say that thing. Well, you know, since you were talking about closing, I know each week we've talked, you know, the close is preach the gospel and the end of it. And with what Pastor Ill was saying, it just building on top of it. You know, we have this God who is so far beyond us that this basic understanding that he is triune is so far beyond us that we don't even understand every aspect of it. And that's the part that's that's okay. The reality is, yes, it is a consequence of sin that we don't understand it. But it also makes us realize that we aren't the highest thing. We aren't the greatest one. It is humbling because we realize our lowliness and our need. And it shows us the great love of our God that... He willingly came, taking on our flesh, coming to be our Redeemer. And this one who, to whom all glory, honor, and worship belong to, went and took all the scorn, wrath, and hatred for our sake, so that our sin would be forgiven, that our guilt would be taken away. There's nothing more precious than this gospel message, nothing more good. And it is by, this is the center of the entirety of the scriptures. And we thank God for this. And I have something going on. I'll be back. <laughs> Pastor Ill, any uh, closing thoughts there? 
Or did you give them while I was gone? I think I gave them when we were gone. I'm sorry. Okay, excellent. Not a problem at all. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this evening. Uh, this has been Crucial Conversations. I guess we're at the end now. I have no idea what happened in the last couple minutes, but um, thank you, Pastor Dirks and Pastor Ill, once again for joining us, for helping, teaching us to think like a confessor. I just used two gerund verbs in a row. That was really bad grammar. Um, unfortunately, it's live, so we can't edit that now. But if you are if you are un, if you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. Hit that subscribe button down below. You can follow us on crucialproductions.org. We're also on social media. Join us in the Grokmu to continue uh, the discussion on the large catechism and the all sorts of different parts of it there. Uh, it's a great place to have a robust conversation. We'd love for you to join us there and have that conversation with us. Next week, join us. We begin to talk about, well, we will talk about the third article of the Creed and the Holy Spirit and how we actually can't believe it is simply not possible in any way of our own power, will, reason, or anything that we bring to, to the table can we believe. And yet, we, we still do believe somehow this still happens. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. Please join us on Crucial Conversations. I am Peter, your host. Good night, everyone.